Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. I'm Amanda Newman, a senior researcher with the Aspen Institute Economic Opportunities Program. At the Economic Opportunities Program, we focus on advancing a more just and inclusive economy by expanding individuals' opportunities to connect to quality work, to participate in business ownership, and to build the economic stability necessary to pursue opportunity. We recognize that race, gender, and place all influence who has access to economic opportunity in America, and we work to address systemic racism as part of our work. Along with my colleagues at the Economic Opportunities Program's Business Ownership Initiative and Workforce Strategies Initiative, I'm really thrilled to welcome you to today's conversation, encouraging job quality in small businesses, advising, lending, and procurement approaches. This conversation is part of the Economic Opportunities Program's ongoing job quality and practice series, in which we highlight innovative work by practitioners and businesses to advance job quality. We're grateful to Prudential Financial for their support of this work. Small businesses are vital to communities across the country, employing nearly half of US workers and creating jobs for local residents. The past year has been extraordinarily difficult for small business owners, many of whom were already stretched thin. And due to patterns of systemic exclusion from access to capital and asset building opportunities, small business owners of color and particularly Black, Asian, and Latinx business owners have been more likely to experience declining revenues, lower cash balances and closures, and have had greater difficulty accessing small business relief programs. The past year has also been extraordinarily difficult for workers in small firms and large firms alike. We have seen that low wages, lack of safety protocols and worker protections, and the practice of tying benefits to employment have left too many workers and their families vulnerable to economic dislocation and to illness. The events of the past year have underscored, however, that the interests of small businesses and workers are deeply interconnected. As small businesses have faced financial and operational struggles, Ensuring the health and safety of employees and retaining a workforce that can quickly adapt to new ways of working has been essential for survival. In the midst of recent stories about businesses struggling to hire or rehire workers, we've seen examples of businesses both large and small that have successfully recruited and retained new employees when they offer stable, supportive jobs. While, the quality, while job quality is a challenge in many small businesses, there are small businesses around the country that provide good jobs. And in our work, we hear regularly from small business owners who want to improve job quality, but need resources or support to get started. As we move from crisis to recovery, we have an opportunity to support small businesses to center job quality and racial equity to ensure more Americans are paid and treated well. Across the country, innovative organizations are supporting small businesses to navigate the pandemic and strengthen business resilience, including by providing quality jobs to workers. During today's conversation, we'll hear from leaders using coaching and technical assistance, lending, and local purchasing approaches to support and encourage job quality. We'll hear about the experiences of small businesses and workers in their communities over the past year, specific approaches these organizations are using to improve job quality, and how different actors can coordinate efforts to drive an equitable recovery. We'll also hear about how panelists are partnering with other organizations and their communities to support job quality strategies. But first, let's review our technology. All attendees will be muted during the webinar. Closed captioning is available for the event. To activate it, click the CC button at the bottom of your screen. We welcome and encourage your questions. 
please use the Q&A box on the bottom of the Zoom window. You can also upvote questions that are of interest to you. We'll leave plenty of time for audience questions for the end of the program, and we'll try to get to as many of your questions as we can. We also strongly encourage you to tweet about this conversation. We'll be using the hashtag job quality, all one word. If you have any technical issues during the webinar, please email us at eop.program at aspeninstitute.org. Finally, this webinar is being recorded and will be shared via email and posted on our website. And now I'm going to briefly introduce our panelists. You can find bio information on our web event page, so I won't go into too much detail, but do take a look. It's a really amazing group. Each of our panelists are doing innovative work with small businesses and communities across the country to support business resilience and advance job quality. Amanda Blondeau is the Chief Strategy Officer at Northern Initiatives, a community development financial institution in Michigan, and she is also an Aspen Institute Job Quality Fellow. Tim Gamery is the CEO of the Bronx Exchange, part of the community-led economic development organization, the Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative. And Bobo Gupta is president and CEO of Pacific Community Ventures, a community development financial institution headquartered in the San Francisco Bay Area. Thank you to each of you so much for joining us. We're going to get started with a little bit of background on each of your organizations. Bobo, Pacific Community Ventures operates on a good jobs, good business model. Can you tell us about what your organization does and why PCB focuses not only on job creation, but on quality jobs? Yeah, happy to. Thanks for having us. Um, so Pacific Community Ventures has a unique model where we integrate um, affordable and restorative capital through our small business lending side of the CDFI side of our house, combined with pro bono expert advising and small grants to really help make sure that as impact investors, we are measuring and tracking the impact of our products and services and continuously showing up with the kind of capital and supports that um, enable our small business owners as the local change makers in their communities to be able to have the kind of um, impacts that address racial and gender wealth gaps and build community wealth long-term. Um, so the, the way that we do that is through investing and supporting them to be able to create quality jobs to have those kinds of impact outcomes that we're really looking for long-term. Um, and when I say quality jobs for us, uh, that really uh, includes sort of a variety of elements in our good jobs framework um, from living wage to basic benefits to career building opportunities, wealth building opportunities, and really making sure that we're building fair and engaging workplaces for employee empowerment. Great. And for our audience who may not be familiar, how does a community development financial institution differ than more traditional lenders? Oh, I'm happy to talk about that any day. <laughs> so CDFIs were created about 30 years ago at a federal legislation at the tail end of the civil rights era, very much to address the systemic discrimination and redlining that had existed in the formal financial industry for a very long time. So when we think about how we differ, the whole mission and DNA of our industry is to reach the most underserved black and brown clients, minority entrepreneurs, um, and least uh, lowest income communities across the country to really serve the mission for which we were created. Great, that's incredibly helpful. And Amanda, like PCD, Northern Initiatives is also a community development financial institution. Can you tell us a bit about Northern Initiatives, including the businesses that you work with and the types of services you provide? 
Definitely. It's great to be here. Thanks, Amanda. Um, so uh, as Amanda said, my name is Am Amanda Blondo. Way too many Amandas. Um, <laughs> Chief <laughs> Strategy Officer at Northern Initiatives. And so we are a community development financial institution. And there's different arms. Um, some are working in housing. Some are working you know, in, in other areas. But we really focus on small business. And what we provide, we call is money and know-how. Um, and so we're supporting entrepreneurs throughout Michigan and border with, bordering Wisconsin to be able to start their business, to be able to grow, um, to be able to sustain, especially now it's really about sustaining um, and getting through the ups and downs. Um, and, and we believe it's critical not only to be providing the financing, but also the coaching along with that and the resources to support them to be successful. Great. And something that is really interesting about Northern Initiatives is that you serve a lot of rural small businesses. So can you talk a little bit more about that and about what might be unique about providing these types of services in a rural context? Yeah, um, we like to say with rural, it's about isolation. It's about um, in our community, it's isolation, it's distance, and also there's a lot of seasonality, too. Um, if you've ever been to northern Michigan, you'll know that um, winter can be up to nine months. It varies. Um, <laughs> oh, you got to go higher. <laughs> um, and so it's um, with serving a rural community, it's hard to get together. So we're not able to do group trainings. There's a lot of driving um, to be able to support these communities. And so technology has been a huge um, focus of what we've been doing at Northern Initiatives, whether it's to provide resources directly to those small businesses and also helping them to really leverage technology so that they can get beyond their immediate area, can overcome some of those challenges around seasonality as well. Great, and I know we're gonna have a chance to dig into that more a little bit later on in our program. Uh, mm -hmm. Tim, turning to you, uh, uh, the Bronx Exchange is um, part of the Bronx Cooperative Development Initiative, which uh, really interestingly takes a community-led approach to economic development. Can you tell us about what the Bronx Exchange does and about BCDI's vision for a democratic and equitable economy in the Bronx? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this, uh, this forum. Um, yeah, the BCDI, as a community-led economic development org, really um, is, is rooted in community and is, has an eye on helping the community and members of the community, Bronx residents have a say in the, uh, in the future of their community and have the ownership and uh, decision-making power and how to build that. Um, and and I, BCI identified really six projects in the economy to move forward. And, and one of them I'll, I'll focus on is Bronx Exchange, which I head up, which is focusing on the small business community. And working to build, what we're doing is building a network of high road businesses, providing technical assistance and support, but also connecting all of the pieces around those businesses as well, including working with the anchor institutions in a place like the Bronx, which is typically thought of and referenced to in terms of deficits. But we, we look at it from an assets-based approach and anchor institutions being an incredible uh, assets that spend uh, hundreds of millions in the Bronx. And so if we could redirect some of that to stay in the Bronx and support businesses and communities, it would be tremendously powerful. So the, the, um, the, the Bronx Exchange does that very, with high touch, 
uh, engagement with businesses and and, and 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 our network, but also we're working to to scale that that impact in the borough as well and, and leverage technology. Great. And you mentioned Tim that the Bronx Exchange is really focused on supporting and encouraging high road businesses. Can you talk a little bit about how the Bronx Exchange and BCDI thinks about some of the elements of a high road business? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the you know looking at the the management practices of the businesses, um, the fair wages and and benefits for their employees, but also things like like. Uh, high road business like local like hiring local and looking to empower locally so we actually preference business owners that live in the bronx as well because there's a greater investment in the community so we we, we help kind of vet along uh, a number of, of vectors around the businesses but also just meeting them where they're at too to move forward uh and advance and you know, their practices and their development of their employees um, and we also love worker-owned co-ops and ESOPs, and that is a, is a key part of our model in helping uh, grow the existing ones, but also seed new ones. Right. So we can't have a conversation about small businesses and about job quality in small businesses without acknowledging the dramatic impact that the overlapping crises of the past year, uh, the health crisis, the economic crisis, the crisis of racial injustice have had on both business owners and workers. So starting with you, Amanda, can you tell us what you're hearing from business owners in Northern Michigan and how this is influencing your job quality strategies at Northern Initiatives? Yeah. Um... It's been quite a year um, and it continues. Uh, as we've been working with small businesses, I mean, and, and what we had to do is honestly just really connect to small businesses. We, we were always talking to them because we didn't know what was going to happen. And the challenges that small businesses, um, you know, we overheard is uncertainty, right? A lot of it, we want security. We want security in our jobs, in our lives and the uncertainty was just very challenging. So as we worked with these small businesses, we helped them to think about scenarios because we couldn't plan 12 months. So we actually looked at what does three months look like? And what if um, you're at 75% of the sales last year, or you're at 50%, what decisions do you have to make? How do you support those employees that you have? Um, and make sure that your business is around for the long the long haul and, and can get through this too. So it's been um, a lot of adjusting. I, right away when the um, pandemic hit, we were developing a lot of resources on our online learning portal, um, as well as the outreach. And they continued to change because all of the rules changed, what we learned changed, and we provided specific resources for those that hit the hardest, the retailers, the restaurants, those that had those in-person businesses as well. Um, and so that's um, what we've been doing. There's more hope coming up. Um, and we're being able to work about um, kind of longer term strategy. We're looking more six months um, instead of instead of three months. Great. And so you mentioned some of those hard hit businesses, the retail, the restaurants. This is also a moment in which businesses and the economy is gearing up for tourism season. And so there are those small businesses that are looking to hire as the economy picks up. And so um, can you tell us a little bit about how Northern Initiatives is supporting small business owners who are looking to hire and who may be finding that they're having some hiring challenges? Yeah. Um... And this is a constant challenge, right? But it's even more increased. And part of it comes down to that security and safety and 
um, understanding about what the job environment is going to be like and what the environment, you know, the safety environment is going to be. So what we do is, and we've been talking to these small businesses, we know that Memorial Day is like the kickoff for us for the tourism season. So we've been talking from the beginning of the year about how are you, you know, where are you at with your staffing? Um, what do you need to hire? How are you planning? Some of the businesses we've had to help them pivot. So sometimes they're having to reduce their hours, which actually um, is creating a little bit of quality of life and balance of life for some of these owners and for some of the employees as well. But others were thinking about how can you be creative? It's not just about pay. Pay is one of the pieces, but it's also about um, how are you making this, as I mentioned before, a safe environment? What are some of the, how are you empowering your employees? How can they have a say? What about flexibility? Because also um, homeschooling and some of those adjustments are something to think about too. And so we, we asked them, you know, what are other businesses that you're seeing around that are having long-term employees? And we're able to bring up some of those examples from those businesses that we're seeing and hold them up as models. And then also, you know, when you've had a great job, you know, what, what were those characteristics? And a lot of times it's, I was heard, I was supported, um, you know, there was a team environment, people cared about, you know, what I was, what I was saying. And so we, we really coached them through that whole process. Something I was really struck by when we were having a prep call for this conversation is that, yes, there were instances when small businesses needed to have workers part-time, um, but there were conversations you were having with them to think about, how can you have a worker part-time but still make sure that you're continuing to support them? How can you think about how many hours they need to continue to have benefits if they're working in this position? Can you talk a little bit about some of those conversations? Yeah, we um, in Michigan, there was some great benefits for, you know, unemployment for part time employees. And at the beginning, um, businesses, they didn't want to let their employees go. The small business, you know, their, their family, not uh, literally, but figuratively. And they were just not scheduling them because they wanted to keep them on. But it was actually hurting those employees because they weren't able to access those unemployment part-time benefits. So we actually worked with them to help them understand how do you best classify your employees? What are some of those parameters to think about so that, you know, not only are you going to continue to be able to move your business forward, keep connection with that employee, but they also are getting the best benefits for their family. Uh, Tim, the Bronx is home to some of New York's top hospitals and universities, uh, as well as successful commercial corridors. At the same time, the borough has been particularly hard hit by the coronavirus pandemic. Can you tell us about the impact you've seen on business owners and workers in the Bronx and any ways this may be influencing the Bronx Exchange or BCDI's broader approach? Yeah, it's um, the, the Bronx was particularly hard hit by the coronavirus, both at the economic level and the health, uh, the health impact, the, the, the deaths um, in the Bronx. And the, um, like the, 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 the closures are obvious in terms of on these, on the corridors, there's a number of, of vacant buildings. Um, there's, you know, it's been a struggle. I mean, you know, it's across the country, it's a struggle. So it's, that's, it's been a very challenging. What's interesting in New York is that because of the size um, and, and the Bronx alone is 1.4 million people. Um, it'd be the eighth largest city if it were its own city. Um, is there's a data gap in terms of understanding 
all of the businesses, where they're at, reaching them. Um, the Bronx is very diverse. So there's a lot, as the epidemic was underway, there was really very difficult to even understand. We, we just did a lot of reaching out you know, personally, but there was clearly a, a, a need for more information and connection to the to businesses and business owners. Um, there was a great relief effort that, that uh, was organized in the Bronx at a borough-wide level that was really powerful and demonstrated how organizations across the board um, could come together to address um, the challenges and looked at like different verticals like in terms of small business support, nonprofit support, um, food insecurity. So many issues that were uh, happening. So I, I, Bronx Exchange and myself, part of one of those committees working with other organizations. And I, I think that is, was really powerful because I think that's going to be the model moving forward. It's going to shift and break down some, uh, many of the silos um, that exist in, in, in such a large, um, large place and help create more cross collaboration so we could be more strategic and share more information and, and be better supportive of the, the businesses because we'll be sharing information um, about the business. So that's, that's been a, a real shift over the past year of us moving from working with our kind of small network of businesses to um, building, actually building tools, digital tools to help us collaborate more effectively with all of our peers in the economic development space from the, uh, the, um, the CBOs and the business development, CDFIs, like all, all, all of them. We need to work much better together. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of context here. Um, when you think about what's happened in the Bronx over the last year, are there ways that you connect sort of this disproportionate impact on the Bronx to um, broader patterns related to disinvestment, related to sort of systemic disparities and access to resources? Can you tell us a little bit about how you and BCDR are thinking about this and connecting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 a the the history in the Bronx and in like many cities around the country in terms of redlining and I was actually born and lived in, when I was young within one of those redlined areas in public housing where it basically starved of resources um, basically denied access to uh, to capital to advance to, to grow businesses and to support so that that legacy is still um, though there's more opportunity there's still a lot to be to be done to address that because of the the setbacks um, and and the, uh, the the still the access to what is available and particularly when you have a large immigrant population in the Bronx, many languages spoken. Spanish is uh, it's almost, I think, 50% of, of the Bronx uh, speaks um, Spanish as the first language. Uh, and many other immigrant populations, like how to kind of understand and address the, the specific needs and of, the, of the population um, is, a, is an ongoing challenge. Um, and at the city level, it's very difficult as big as New York City is, so there's a there's a need to to do better coordination, as as I mentioned, uh, at the uh, at the borough level and at the community level as as well uh, to address. Thanks. Uh, 
Bobo, how have you seen businesses respond to the overlapping crisis crises over the past year? And how is this shaping PCV's job quality approach in this moment and when you think about the long term? Yeah, um, so, you know, one of the things I think going into the pandemic in the first few weeks, um, we knew that given the fact that I think at that point, about 80 to 85% of our portfolio of businesses we serve was um, either BIPOC or women-owned small businesses that on average their runway for their business tends to be maybe one to two months. So we were really cautious that um, we needed to make sure that federal efforts or our own efforts reach them in time to help them hang on to their business. And you know, seeing, for example, the incredibly disparate, disproportionate impacts that um, the failure of the PPP in the first couple of rounds had in California alone, we saw by June that 45% of our black owned small businesses and 32% of Latinx owned, and I think 26% of AAPI owned went under within the first three months of the crisis. Um, very much what we had feared and uh, written an open letter about with uh, 50 other CDFIs. Um, so, you know, knowing that that was going to happen, seeing it happen. Um, it was really upon us, I think, to make sure that we collectively with as many partners and stakeholders as we could get to listen and, and show up, um, we're showing up better to you know, just really reach out, make sure folks had support, first through our advising platform in our case to make sure folks had mentorship support, coaching, whether that's you know, financial refin refinancing, um, marketing and lots of conversations around pivot is the new word for 2020 for small businesses. Um, all of those kinds of supports, but also just really, frankly, hustling on behalf of our small business owners to show up with restorative capital. Um, because as Amanda also mentioned, you know, if we don't, uh, if we are not helping build some certainty into uh, small businesses being able to plan out their next quarter and the quarter after that, um, we saw in California, for example, with the additional winter restrictions that went into place as spikes happened again with COVID, that that only further um, hurts their sense of certainty, right? To be able to reopen, rehire, et cetera. Um, so we've really taken it very much upon us to make sure that we are raising and deploying capital at super, super affordable restorative rates that are um, uh, showing up with the kind of capital that people can actually plan against for the next quarter and the next quarter. Um, and feel more certain that they have the kind of capital in their corner to be able to project out and start hiring, as well as really ramping up our supply of advisors, our coaching for advisors, and for small business owners directly through our platform of everything from office hours and QuickBooks to menu planning. I mean, such a variety of offerings um, because of the needs we've seen come out from our small business community that says, you know, 24% of our portfolio, for example, is in food services and accommodation, others in retail, et cetera. So what are their specific industry needs and how do we help make sure we're showing up for them to sustain their business? And then really messaging from a jobs quality perspective, first and foremost, we started messaging last summer, um, how, we, how can we help prioritize employee health alongside business health? How do we help folks just think about a jobs preservation agenda? Like, the better we can help folks hang in business and hang on to their workers, um, the better we can then keep them on a good jobs journey with us ahead, right? 
Um, so that's really the, the quarter by quarter, month by month pivoting ourselves, like Amanda was describing, to make sure we were adaptive and agile to the needs of the small business community so that when it is appropriate, we are following up with the next messaging of, um, you know, here's the next version of capital, here's the next version of mentorship, and hey, we still have the supply of good jobs advisors ready to work with you for when you're rehiring so that you're rehiring and ramping up again in, a, in as quality of jobs way as possible. Um, you know, for example, one of the stories uh, of our lending clients that we work with who um, you know, came to us a few years ago from first having taken out a really high interest FinTech loan before she knew CDFIs existed. Um, when she first came to us, she actually used our advising platform for a few months to get her finances in place and then was able to work with us to get some capital. And even through this crisis, while everybody you know, took an initial hit to their business and revenue, um, she was able to pivot more online, build more customer loyalty, um, leverage a variety of both PPP and some grants programs and launch a second and third location and even grow her number of jobs this fall, which was just tremendous to be able to see stories like that. Um, so we really see the full range of experiences in our, in our portfolio from those who had to go under by June and close up, um, but also to those for whom some of those pivots really worked and what that can look like when you um, are able to hang on to your workers and build the kind of culture in your small business um, that actually shows them that you are intrinsically connected with their well-being and your business well-being. Um, so we've really seen the full gamut of that experience this year. Uh, we had a comment come through from one of our audience members that said, so wonderful to see this marriage of capital as education and education and coaching. And I thought that was uh, such a helpful comment to lift up because I think that's really a thread that's going to run through as we talk about each of your strategies. And, uh, you know, I think Bobo, it's really clear as you're talking about both the capital approach and you're also talking about the advising approach. Um, we've heard this come up from our other panelists as well. It's a theme that we're going to move into unpacking. And I also just want to put a pin and you use the term restorative capital, which may be, which is something you've been exploring during the pandemic. And um, it may be a term that's new to some of our audience members. So just want to note that we are going to come back to that idea later in the conversation and talk about, you know, some ideas about how to finance this um, in, in a moment of crisis. And so that said, I think something that's really special about our job quality and practice series is that we really have an opportunity to talk to leaders and practitioners about the nitty gritty of their strategies. And so really excited to move into a part of this conversation where we really want to unpack and better understand not only the what of what you're doing, but also the how of how you're doing it. And so, uh, Tim, I wanted to start with you and I wanted to ask you um, more about the Bronx Exchange and how the Bronx Exchange is using local purchasing to preference high road businesses. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, you know, the, the, the high road business part is, 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 is clear in terms of, we want the businesses to be able to, uh, you know, advance these practices. But what we discovered is that it's really important to create demand also for, for those, those practices and um, in, in the marketplace. So working with the institutions 
in terms of helping to educate and, and also in forge connections is a, is a big part of it. So we're working on the market side, not just the, the business support, but actually uh, expanding opportunity um, and creating inroads and doing that in a few different, uh, few different ways. I mean, one directly, it's, it's like ongoing in terms of our relationships with anchors and CBOs in the Bronx, but also in, in, in collaborations like Ascend, um, it's called Ascend in New York City, which we, we just recently launched with uh, partners in, in the Bronx um, that is a part of a national initiative that is funding collaboratives that are working in cities across the country to, to wrap around small businesses um, the, the support needed. The, the, there's a 3M model part of it, the, the money, the markets, and the management training. So bringing those businesses into uh, a cohort space with 12 businesses that we're, we're working with now that um, they're getting management training um, and using the balanced scorecard model to help give them a framing of how to look at their business through these different lenses and address uh, and help build systems and practice around that. Um, and it's within a peer space too. It's challenging and, and uh, it's not as great in Zoom. We did, we've done this in, in person, but really creates this interesting and powerful dynamic of bringing these business owners together. And it's across a number of different industries, uh, but it's place Bay, all Bronx to share amongst themselves. So the learning that happens in, in that space is really powerful. And we're bringing the, the institutions. So just last week, we had the, the Wildlife Conservation Society, the Bronx Zoo is the, uh, one of the big anchors, WCS is, is, is uh, a very big organization. Head of procurement was in the meeting, meeting the business owners, establishing that connection, understanding capabilities and, and you know, bringing um, and commitment um, and we're part of our role holding accountable because <laughs> um, there's, you know, lots of uh, sometimes could be lip service in terms of the support of local businesses and uh, we're helping bring them to the table and also and manage and, and, and hold accountable so that they can, uh, you know, truly be impactful working with the local businesses. So what I'm hearing you say, Tim, is that uh, the Bronx Exchange is able to act as an anchor institution in the Bronx, and you're able to work with other types of organizations really across the board to support approaches that uh, bring, in, bring in capital, uh, approaches that, that bring in technical assistance and support for businesses related to their management practices. And um, you're also working um, with these larger institutions um, that do purchasing in the Bronx to, um, to support small businesses in the Bronx. And so at this point, our audience may be wondering, so I understand how the Bronx Exchange is supporting the small business ecosystem in the Bronx, but how do good jobs fit in? And so can you talk a little bit more about some of what the Bronx Exchange does to really preference businesses that you consider high road in local purchasing strategies? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we vet, part of the, the building our network is, is vetting businesses and, and we've partnered with, um, early on a couple of years now with uh, the B impact, the B labs and their B impact assessment to create a, a simplified version of that tool that really that looks at governance practices, uh, environmental, you know, 
variety of, of areas around the business. And, and we don't use it as a, um, like a, a cutoff and kind of meet businesses where they are, because part of it is, is also the intention to do better, to like be assessed and, and identify uh, those areas and, and challenges. And that's built into the, the management training piece that we're talking about with, with, with Ascend, um, particularly around you know, the people part of that and, and the practices ar around working with your um, with your staff? Are you providing area opportunities for growth? Um, are you, do you have a um, employee handbook? Like there's some simple things that like you, you want to have in place. So there's, there's clarity and there's process and, and procedure um, with, with your staff and, 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 and your people have an opportunity to, to grow. So, and, and we, we help them help business owners think about developing their people and how uh, such a, a valuable resource and different strategies in terms of, of, of management as well. Um, in addition to uh, benefits and, um, you know, and, and wages, but actually helping have, give the employees more say. So that's why, I mean, worker ownership is, is a, a, there's a number few, several businesses that we're working with very closely to help expand worker owned businesses because the, the, the workers actually own the business, so they have a lot of say, and they get they they, they govern it democratically and make decisions. So we that that's in such an important model. I think that's uh, that as recent research has shown that it, uh, you know, worker-owned businesses have um, just less volatile in, in terms of the impact of COVID um, and challenges because of the because of the structure. And we're gonna come back and talk about more about your strategy related to uh, supporting businesses in the Bronx to uh, transition to worker ownership models. So excited to continue to talk about that thread. It's, it's really, really important. Um, wanna highlight a few things that you brought up that I think are definitely worth noting. Um, the ways that you're thinking about what are, what are pieces of job quality that small businesses are positioned to tackle now? What are things that they might need to tackle a little bit later when they're a little Little bit more established and the way that you're thinking about job quality is a continuum right it's not you're providing quality jobs or you're not providing quality jobs but there's a continuum and there's an opportunity for businesses to improve over time uh, so i think that's all really helpful for us to keep in mind and bobo i'm going to turn to you and you've already started to talk to us about pcd's business advising work can you tell us a little bit more about that work and your good jobs good business toolkit Sure. Um, so the businessadvising.org platform is part of our um, business advising program uh, that really um, basically is our own in-house um, dual-sided tech platform. Um, and I'm sure the head of our advising program loves to call it the match.com of mentorship for underinvested entrepreneurs. Um, but yes, I think for now, we have committed to keeping it pro bono to entrepreneurs because of the segment of entrepreneurs we are most trying to serve who've always experienced lack of access to mentorship, right? So with that um, being the case from our user experience, we really want to make sure we are raising both um, you know, fundraising for it largely from grants, um, but we also source advisors, largely pro bono advisors through employee engagement programs, um, volunteer match, LinkedIn, variety of different sources to keep the employer, uh, the advisor supply always high and refreshed and to be able to do special outreaches for specific areas of expertise when we see spikes in demand from our users, um, like marketing and digital marketing, right? Over the past uh, year, especially 
Um, but also last winter pre-pandemic when we launched our first cohort of good jobs advisors. Um, so that's that's sort of the platform piece and we match folks and we have relationship managers in the middle who are really invested in the success and the quality of that experience for both sides. So they really help sort of um, customize that experience and make sure uh, everyone is uh, sort of matched well or rematched when needed. Um, we also run a variety of programming both for advisors as a sort of training of trainers model, um, as well as directly to small business owners. So for small business owners, you know, we do a variety of things like QuickBooks office hours, or um, I think I said menu planning earlier. So a variety of different um, pieces, but uh, also for our advisors running things like trauma-informed coaching, mm -hmm. cultural competency, um, and trainings on our good jobs framework that we launched a few years ago after extensive research in 2015, 2016 um, around what does it mean to have a quality job in America and how do we help our small business owners as those agents of change who employ half of Americans be able to really act on that. Um, so those advisors really get trained on the toolkit specifically and are um, starting to be matched with a, a small business owners to work more or less, I would say the most effective strategy we've seen is when they do sort of the quarterly planning, similar to financial quarterly planning, um, so that it's really in time when, when business owners are making decisions about the next quarter and what they think they can afford. Um, because one of the things we've seen and, and heard repeatedly from our small business owners is, and as any of us can imagine as employers, once you put out a benefit or a, you know, any part of a quality job sort of framework for your employees, you really don't want to ever have to yank it back. Um, and so our small business owners are really cognizant that they wanna make sure that they can budget for, you know, whether it's a career development or a wealth building, retirement benefits, whatever the range of options are, um, that they can in, plan out ahead of time enough for when they can invest in those meatier substan um, substantive elements versus sometimes starting with the lower cost elements. So the advisors can really help them to, to think through that alongside their, their quarterly financial um, planning. And we saw that a lot from entrepreneurs like Sadie at Bread Seriously, who's worked on a quarterly basis with her financial advisor and her good jobs advisor through our platform um, to be able to have the kinds of outcomes that the, we want to have through them and they want to have for their own communities. Something we often see people in the field grappling with is what sorts of advisors or coaches are well positioned to not only coach related to financial stability, resilience, growth, but also to coach related to those quality jobs practices um, and, and pieces really related to people and supporting people. And so I'm wondering if you've found that there are certain qualities that make for a good, good jobs advisor. Yeah, so far our experience has been um, folks who have a, a people, maybe HR background to some extent, but who can also really understand quarterly financial planning. I think that overlap between HR and finance, inevitable when you're thinking about when can I afford for that next element of quality jobs, um, you know, being able to think through what is your small business culture what are you trying to build with your team? Where are you at right now with your people strategy? Um, and therefore then, you know, what can you afford right now? What can you do that's maybe low cost, no cost? And then how do we start to project out with you what we can do next? 
Um, and whether that's, you know, professional development trainings on site, whether that is um, going all the way to retirement benefits, or maybe it's just stable scheduling and direct deposit for now. So really thinking through the range of things, I think being able to think through the combination of HR and financial planning seems to be so far um, our, our stickiest overlap. Thanks. And Amanda, I know that Northern, for Northern Initiatives, coaching is a big part of your job quality approach as well. Can you talk to us a little bit more about how you leverage business coaching to support job quality? And I know that you mentioned technology earlier, so maybe you could talk a little bit about how technology plays a role. Yeah, um, when I actually was applying for the Job Quality Fellowship um, and was really thinking about this topic and what we do, um, I realized we were doing this all along. We were coaching around this topic without actually calling it job quality. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking to people early on and they're thinking about starting a business, we actually have built that into the business plan on thinking about, you know, what skills do you need? What staff are you going to need to support you? And what's that going to cost? How are you going to retain them? How are you going to train them? Putting some of those, those pieces in place just like Tim had mentioned too, like having a manual and having standard operating um, procedures. Um, and we don't expect, um, I really like that idea about the continuum and, and we talk about that too. So early on we build in into the projections, the business plan, other things we're doing these topics and also look at it over the years. So knowing typically many of these business owners cannot pay themselves the first year or, or it's limited. Um, and so they're thinking about, can I really offer benefits? Maybe not the first year, but if we figure out this path in five years, you can do it. And let's think about what are the, some of the, um, the smaller things you can do. And so um, and that are lower cost, but also have a lot of value. Um, and so with Initiate, um, our online learning uh, resource portal that we actually created um, starting in 2014, because of our rural territory and having this challenge of being able to reach everybody. Um, and sometimes when business owners work on their business is at midnight. Um, I had to actually somebody say, well, can you, can you meet me at midnight once the restaurant closes? Like, no, you're not going to have great coaching from me then. So, so we were able to provide something that provided, you know, answered those common questions and challenges 24 seven. And from there, um, it's really grown and actually it's being utilized in 34 states. So it's been great to get this um, insights. And what we've done then is from the insights around from our borrowers, as well as other borrowers um, and small businesses is build out tools on those basics about hiring, um, retaining employees, the things to be considering to be building into your job jobs that you're offering and, and planning with those financially. I really like what Bubble said about HR and financing. It has to go hand in hand um, so that, you know, th this business can sustain and continue to, to keep those benefits. Uh, so we have a wide variety of different types of organizations in our audience, and it's been really interesting to get to know each of your organizations and to hear about the different ways that you're working with other community-based organizations, either within your own community or within other communities. Uh, and so I wanted to dig into that a little bit more. And Tim, I want to start with you because I really want to come back to this idea of worker cooperatives and worker ownership and this idea of workers really having an opportunity to have more of a say in decision-making 
um, and have opportunities to really build assets um, through ownership and participation in the business. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you're partnering with the Worker Cooperative, uh, worker cooperative Business Development Initiative to support small businesses to convert to worker co-ops? Yeah, yeah, it's um, the, the New York City is, is investing uh, through city council the past, I think it's maybe four or five years now in funding a number of, I think there are 13 of us now, organizations throughout New York City um, to support worker-owned co-ops, help grow the number of worker-owned co-ops, help, help market and help, help build the, um, the ecosystem uh, as well for, for worker-owned co-ops. Um, so we, the, the partners have a variety of different um, kind of services, but also locations. So there's, you know, there's technical assistance providers, but there's also capital providers, CDFIs in the group and uh, co-op developers and marketing legal. So the, uh, amongst the group, there's a, there's a, a lot of um, um, talent and, and support to kind of to wrap around. Um, and to, to draw on as we, we work together, we meet once a month. Um, and I was just on a call earlier because we we're talking about the systems to take the systems to the, the next level to help us coordinate so that we can refer eat more easily amongst partners. Um, when we have um, the interest uh, in uh, being a co-op um, by a business owner, you know, easily to refer to the organization best kind of uh, capable um, or you know, legal assistance. And um, with, with, with the goal of really growing the number of worker-owned co-ops, and, and there's a focus, I mean, most of these uh, worker-owned co-ops are um, minority businesses, minor, my, um, immigrant populations in the city, and it's a real key avenue for um, building wealth and, and having um, a real agency as well in the enterprise. And we work with a particular business in the Bronx, a cleaning company called BioClassic. It's five, uh, five women who um, we've been working with several years and in, in the midst of the pandemic, we help them skill up to meet the needs of a bigger like institutional clients based on like COVID level cleaning. Like what does that mean? So we did some research and help really help help them skill skill up and and get uh, equipment as well and then connected to the actual to marketing connected to the institution um uh, called wedco in the bronx a housing uh, agency and it was a thirty thousand dollar contract and that really uh, has, has helped them and taking them to a new level so we, we put particular a, high, a lot of attention and focus on so really high touch. We have the spectrum of high touch to high tech. <laughs> like we're trying to help a lot through high tech, but when you get down to the high touch, we spend a lot of time. It's working on clubs like BioClassic and another one. Um, we're helping really an in, in industry or an industry play here. We, we, we work with a pest control company, a couple of them. One's already worked on co-op. The other is um, a traditional business that we helped get a bigger contract at a nursing home um, and they had to hire employees. We help connect to workforce development programs. So we really see ourselves as connecting dots, really, of, of resources. Um, and that business is now that they want to, through our continuous conversation and enrollment in the vision, become a convert to worker owned co uh, worker owned co op. And with this other smaller co op, become a, a big 
integrated pest management. I, I said IPM and people don't know what that means. Integrated pest management. <laughs> so it's a higher level of, uh, it's not just exterminating. It's, it's more holistic. It loses less chemicals and pesticides. But essentially, we're looking to help grow and scale this uh, IPM co-op. Um, to take over the industry and um, in New York City, increase the uh, you know, number of worker owners um, and, uh, and keep that, that wealth uh, and, in the borough. And Tim, we had a quick question come through. I'm not sure if you know this, otherwise we might be able to get it later. Do you know the name of that initiative in New York City that's really focused on worker-owned businesses? WCBDI, the one we're part of? That's a, yeah. yeah, the yeah. name of the, the New York City initiative? That's the one. Okay, got work, it. Okay, yeah. Great. Was that the question? I'm sorry. Worker, yeah. The Worker Cooperative Business Development Initiative. Okay, great. Uh, and so um, that that's really really helpful. And so Bobo, I wanted to move to you, and I wanted to ask you how PCB is working with workforce development organizations, a large part of our audience, to support its job quality approach. Um, yeah, happy to. So we, um, we've partnered with a few different workforce development organizations over the last few years, um, especially around our good jobs piece. Um, one is the National Fund for Workforce Solutions. Um, a couple others include Civic Works and Central Iowa Works um, to really explore how we adopt a good jobs approach within their work with small businesses. Um, so for example, Civic Works and Central Iowa Works um, paired several of their small businesses in Baltimore, Des Moines, um, from different industries, retail, hospitality, restaurant, um, with local business advisors who I think at the time, pre-pandemic, um, you know, hopefully could meet in person and provide some of that high touch coaching too that Tim was also referencing, um, but who were trained then in PCB's Good Jobs Toolkit to be able to guide those efforts with, uh, again, that more higher touch sort of approach um, while strengthening a business bottom line. Um, they co-developed a technical assistance strategy and implementation plan, um, drawing from our approach around job quality. And then um, even through the crisis, I think uh, the pandemic, working together virtually now um, to be able to prioritize, you know, let's, let's think about what are the immediate needs to be able to support the business needs right now um, to, again, sort of be able to hang on to whatever elements of job quality they might've been talking about or already acting on before um, as much as possible through the crisis, um, stabilize their business to be able to you know, hang on to those workers and, and the elements of job quality they may have already had in place um, and pivot accordingly to be able to um, preserve some of that impact and the, the wealth building aspects um, while making sure that the business is positioned to not just survive the pandemic, but um, most likely in, in many efforts and in ways that are, are going to be beneficial to the business longer term, right? A lot of the marketing and digital marketing efforts we've seen, um, access funding, et cetera. Um, I think one of the businesses we've worked with was a wireless company uh, or, you know, that ran a, a several different franchise stores um, across uh, their region. And I think one of the innovative things we saw them do, you know, once they were sort of committed to working on a good jobs agenda pre-pandemic through this partnership um, with Civic Works, that um, even through the pandemic, one of the cool things they did was use some of their PPP money to be able to do things like weekly bonuses and hazard pay for their employees that they were able to hang on to, even though they did have to shed some jobs and close a couple of stores down. Um, so that for the people who, who were still working in there, 
they were able to help keep some of that morale high, the engagement, the employee engagement pieces high. And they saw, um, not unlike we see in a lot of our small business owners, that keeping that morale high for those employees through the pandemic also really translated and increased in more positive customer engagement and sales with those who stayed because the employees have a bit more you know, financial certainty during a crazy time of lots of financial uncertainty for lots of folks. And they're able to then show up um, with a little bit more of that security and a little bit more of that morale, right? So those are the kinds of stories I think where even just having someone committed and you know wherever they were on this journey um, beforehand, how they then showed up for their workers and their, their business through the pandemic, um, frankly, just really gives us a sense also for where we might see those early wins coming out of the pandemic and where we can position them best for those additional supports to really keep them advancing on that journey um, into this really important time of recovery ahead. Oh, well, while Amanda's frozen, I think if somebody, if, if she was asking about this New York City program, it, there, there's a separate initiative called Owner to Owners. So that's where in New York City, the, the city is, it has a campaign to help business owners who are now, especially because of COVID, thinking about exiting um, to convert to convert their business. And so the some of the partners are helping support that. Nice. We've been um, advocating for that at the federal level, right? Along with, I'm sure, lots of folks on this call um, mm -hmm. trying to make sure we're building in some of those good incentives and support for more of our small business owners. Yeah. Yeah, we've, um, we actually had, we have a series of videos. They're both available in English and Spanish and have really been thinking about um, where does your business go, right? Are you, is there succession planning? Um, are you selling it? Do you have to exit? Is it employee ownership? And thinking about that as early as possible. Um, and that has been a conversation that we are seeing, you know, we're, we're bringing that up more um, with, with customers and are seeing a lot more interest. And, and there is a lot of aging businesses too. And I also think, you know, with COVID, um, it puts strain on all of us running a small business is not easy in the first place. And, and some people that were thinking, well, I might be three years out. Now I might be one, or let's start to, mm -hmm. you know, move that timeline up too. And so that has been an area um, that we've really seen a lot of need and have, have started to do a lot more coaching around now today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, um, we're reaching out to lots of our small business owners with that as a potential too, as you see, you know, lots of folks going, closing out and, and exiting to restore, save whatever they can of their business. But um, is there a way to be able to do that um, selling back to workers or, or whatever? I think a lot of people just don't wanna have to pivot and be resilient in one more crisis at this point after the last 10 years too. Welcome back, Amanda. Thank you. And thank you to my fabulous colleague, Jenny Weisbord, for, for stepping in. I'm wondering if we had an opportunity to speak with Amanda about the work that she's doing with the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. No, I haven't um, chatted with that. So happy to talk about that. The Michigan Economic Development Corporation has been a great partner. Um, we were able to get loan funds um, immediately to be able to help um, assist a lot of small businesses. But one of the other things that they've been really thinking about is not only do we how do we provide loans and grants, 
but how do we provide additional support? So we actually are doing a train the trainer series. Um, we, we started last year and now we're doing actually develop, um, have a cohort. Uh, we've got 18 organizations that are across the state. They're workforce development organizations, main street organizations, economic development. Um, and we come together to help them understand how it's all about business retention. That's what we're focusing on. And so how can we support and so it's this nice hub and spoke, you know, at Northern Initiatives, we can only serve so many. Um, so by able by us doing this train the trainer program, we're able to um, broaden that that approach. And so we're, we're focusing on um, increasing their capacities around, you know, um, first, it is that job retention piece of it. Right now, it also it is about hiring and thinking about longevity and being able to weather future storms um, and, and also doing um, training for their small businesses. So we've been really excited about that. We're also talking to MEDC about how, are other, how can we bring other programs into this. Um, so Tim had mentioned the B-Lab assessment. And so we have Good for Michigan. Um, that group is really great about promoting small businesses, and they also have that assessment, too, where you're looking at community, customers, environment, employees, government, governance, where are you at today, and what are the steps so that you can increase your impact, too. So that's been a really great partnership, um, and, and we were actually planning to do that over the next couple of years. That's great. We're going to move in just a moment to audience questions, but before we do, I want to go to, back to this idea of the marriage of capital and education and technical assistance, and I want to really talk just a bit more about what is the role you see for capital and uh, in this work, and maybe the role of some different players in the capital space, including uh, philanthropy and including impact investors. And Bobo, I'd like to start with you. Um, sure. So uh, I'll also pick up on what I mean when I say restorative capital. Um, so when I think about the mission of CDFIs, like I was sharing earlier and why our industry was created, um, one of the things we also know that is especially the case in low-income communities, communities of color, immigrant communities, is this weariness and skepticism of taking on more debt, right? Especially through times of crisis. So how do we, especially as CDFIs or impact first organizations, mission driven organizations, whatever version of lingo you use, how do we show up with capital that is not just fair and affordable, which is you know, first and foremost really important, um, but friendly and accessible in a way that is restorative in our communities at really affordable rates and fees and differentiated from the term extractive, right? So one of the reasons people have weariness of taking on debt is because their association with it is banks, even frankly, some FinTech that is really high rates that um, they pay back with everything they possibly have. Um, and we, we don't want to constantly be extracting from communities. We wanna give them a, a solid foundation to be able to build from. So. That's really how we differentiate sort of restorative at super, super low rates versus extractive. Um, and when we think therefore about how we do that, engaging foundations, impact investors, et cetera, to be able to really walk the walk on showing up with impact first capital um, that allows us as CDFIs then to be able to show up that way for the communities we serve. Um, that's really a lot of how we, how we think about that capital play. Um, and once, once you build that relationship and trust with the small business owners that 
you are in fact actually one of the trustable partners versus these sort of weary and skepticism um, in the industry they generally have in the financial industry that we often get lumped with at CDFIs, um, then you start to really be able to build a more trustable, trusted relationship to, I, I think, frankly, increase the stickiness too of the good jobs journey we also want to be on with them. So that's, that's how we think about the capital and TA parts overlapping. That's really helpful and a really great example of the role that philanthropy and impact investors can play in the space. Restorative capital can be really hard to finance. And so a really good example of how to leverage a strategy like this in a moment of crisis. Tim, I wanted to ask you, what role do you see for capital in terms of supporting and encouraging uh, quality jobs in small businesses? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's so critical uh, the, the, to start and to grow and uh, the business and and we you know uh, work with a, a number of, of partners that uh, consider values aligned and not have non-extractive uh, capital uh, products like the working world um, who they particularly uh, invest in worker-owned uh, startups and, and and existing businesses. Um, and have a very patient and very supportive of the businesses. Um, and, and so other capital you know, partners like that and, and that we are working to identify more of too so that we can have a, a better understanding of the landscape, uh, like shared capital conversation um, with them the other, the other day. Um, so yeah, with these partners, it, it goes hand in hand because it's really capital is, is in service to to impact, right? To to to, to people, um, not the other way around. So it's really part of you know, BCDI. It values really matter, um, and business and service of, of empowering people and, and uh, making people's lives better. So that's that's how we identify kind of who we uh, work with and and and, and want to in, increase that um, that network and and help help expand kind of awareness around. Um, you know, the alternative ways of addressing uh, capital. That's such an important point. And Amanda, what about you? Um, we've, we've been working with a lot of um, community uh, foundations to think about what are some different ways. So, you know, when we first did outreach, we did a lot of small loans to try to get people through this. But at the same time, knowing we don't want to just keep adding debt and more debt on. Um, so we're looking at some creative ways. One thing we, we call it patient capital, where it's looking more at um, how are their sales trending? So they're not having to, you know, they're paying back based on, you know, what their profits are and how they compare to they were, how they were previously. Um, so we're looking at some innovative ways there. We're talking to some funders who are very interested in forgivable uh, loans. Um, and that will usually be tied with the coaching um, and other pieces so that not only are you, you know, providing them basically a grant, but they are, those small businesses are engaging um, with coaching and assistance to make them stronger. Um, so we've really been trying to think about how can we leverage both some more grant um, capital and, and really diversify that, that capital stack. Um, and we've seen that our community foundations have really been thoughtful and a good partner with us. Um, and, and the other piece is we also did really focus on how do we get some of these federal programs like the PPP into the hands um, of 
businesses that basically gave up on, on getting access to that program. So this year, we only did first-time PPP loans. Um, so if they've already gotten it before, um, you know, we were not set up to do that. But it was those businesses that weren't able to access it before. And so we have all these stories about, um, you know, I just, I just didn't think I'd be able to get access, you know, banks weren't calling me back. And so it's been a mix of how can we help them leverage all these resources that are out there? Um, and, and obviously, too, at some of it's going to be loan capital, but we're trying to think about how we can diversify that, those options. I want to make sure we have an opportunity to get to some of our audience questions. And so I wanted to ask each of you if you could comment briefly on this question of each of you have these partnerships, you have these relationships with other organizations, either locally or nationally. And so what is the process of getting others on board to do this work alongside you? Anyone want to jump in? Um, I can jump in uh, briefly. I think the both on both sides. So on our lending side, for example, um, we helped co-found the California Rebuilding Fund with nine, um, 10 other CDFIs to be able to really leverage affordable capital and at the same time be able to offer our business advising platform, including the Good Jobs Advisors, to any not only of our clients, but others' clients as well. Um, we launched the Small Business Support Circle last year to be able to offer business advising specifically outside of California with community partners, CDFIs, incubators, accelerators across the country. So for us, it's really being able to think about um, who are the shared communities we are all trying to reach better and what do we have that we can share and what do they have existing like what Amanda and Tim are working on where maybe our service is complementary to their toolkit. And so we slide into their toolkit to sort of supplement or complement whatever they might already be doing um, versus the displacing of. So that's a lot of how we try to partner um, with others and um, have, have really expanded our national footprint over the past year based on that need and demand. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that, similarly in terms of like we take, I always think of them of sports. So like team approach and like what's the different roles on the team needed around a, a project or a cohort of businesses and really complement kind of um, kind of capabilities and support needed. Uh, just earlier, just before this, was on a phone call with SBS and um, Solbro. So SBS is New York City's uh, small business service, but Solbro is a is a Bronx. Uh, um, Economic Development Org, uh, and we're talking about this business that we're helping get back to the to the Bronx, a, a man, advanced manufacturing business that will be very impactful on the site of an old boys' prison um, called, called Spofford that my older siblings remember. People would scare them about like, "We'll send you to Spofford," um, and it's the site of a new uh, you know, kind of rebirth. Um, so, so I, I we've been like identifying different partners um, to, to, to work on and, and support in this project, workforce development, capital, um, the political players, the community players, and see it really as like helping have a, a, a big bigger picture to help put pieces together um, around like strategic initiatives. And I'm really interested in this about, like just been thinking about how to enable more of this and how to like empower people in the community 
to be able to connect more easily. Like how do you, the thing about is like democratizing economic development. Um, so yeah. Working on that. <laughs> And, and we've always had a lot of connections, you know, at the state level, at the federal level. But one of the things um, we've really been doing and being thoughtful is, is getting into the, the local level. Um, as we go into new communities, you know, we, we first see who are those players um, in those communities? What are the needs? What are the gaps? Um, and just see what can we do? How can we help? And so those conversations have increased and we've been much more thoughtful about formalizing um, some of those relationships as well, because there is mutual, mutual benefit and it's gonna make our community stronger um, in Michigan and be able to serve uh, more of these entrepreneurs that aren't getting the support right now too. So it's been um, a lot of outreach and, and I think we're all striving to the same thing. So just thinking about how do we be creative? How do we leverage these resources that are coming out um, and, and not being replicate, you know, not replicating what others are doing and, and definitely looking both in the state and outside of the state too. So we get together regularly with peers to understand what are they doing, um, ask certain questions. You know, this was this was new. We hadn't been through a pandemic, and so you know we regularly connected with with other peers to understand and learn from them and, and be able to share. We are reaching the end of our time, but I want to make sure that I ask one more question. It's going to be a lightning round and it's going to be a huge question that's come through in a bunch of different ways from audience members. And the question is, the work that you're doing is all fantastic. And so how can we do more of it? How can we reach more businesses? How can we expand to other communities? And so I'm going to ask you um, as, as briefly as you can to share just a few thoughts with our audience about how to expand this work. Tim, you want to jump in? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I, said, I didn't want to. Cut, I didn't want to cut in line. Happy to. Um, I I think about this every day. Like it wakes. It's the past year especially, and I've been working on it. So because I think technology. Like I'm coming from a technology background, like more of like a problem solving. Um, like what's how to reduce friction and how to scale. And technology has to be a big component of it. And I think the um, the the empowering the intermediaries is really important. To, to reach businesses like how do we have more like um more of us with tools that are like connected so i'm actually we're actually uh developing a platform to support that that's supporting us right now um but and it's at the i, I could share a link to the the bronx exchange version but we're actually going to be rebranding um it's just teasing it out because it's so useful um for just more broadly new york city and potentially uh, nationally and that's something i'm working on constantly um to help connect make those connections sorry that's too long long answer <laughs> amanda um but tim had said it before high touch and high tech and um, we were actually talking about this at our board meeting earlier um I, I think you still have to keep both up, but a lot of it for us has been about building resources, technology systems, so that we can continue to stay connected, but also have these other resources. We are having to reach much more entrepreneurs than before. And, and actually having to do some of these things faster has helped us ask you know, like ask the questions of, did we really need to do all of those steps? How can we rethink this? So that the process of getting capital and support is much easier in the future. Um, and so those are things that we've been working on. 
And Bubble, final word. Yeah, I would just say picking up off a thread I see in the comment box. Yes, way too many CDFIs have and community development organizations have been undercapitalized for way too long. Um, I think when I think about partnership strategies, one of the things I absolutely think about is how do we, how are we bigger than the sum of our parts um, collaboratively? So how do we work together to raise affordable capital to demand that out of the market, foundations, impact investors? Most of us can't access the capital markets directly, right? So what is the role of government? What is the role of our industry organizations like OFN and others to be able to really think about how we complement our current work and capacity building with affordable capital that is really showing up for our small business owners to be able to enable them to be on this good jobs journey with us. What a great note to end on. And I just wanna thank all three of you again for joining us and for bearing with some brief technical difficulties. This was a really terrific and really informative discussion. And I, I hope it will really uh, support our audience to think about a wide variety of job quality strategies, ways you can plug in and things you can think about to really center job quality, and inclusion as we rebuild from the crisis. I want to thank all of my Aspen Institute colleagues for their incredible support um, organizing the event and supporting the event. Thank you so much to our audience for joining us, for sharing your amazing thoughts in the chat and all of your questions. And finally, if you could, please take a moment to respond to our very quick feedback survey. It's going to pop up in a moment. And again, thank you all. And we hope to see you again for our next events. Take care.